Let's go to the word. Let's go to the word. Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two. We're going to go, uh, go old school. Genesis chapter two, verse seven. If you don't know where Genesis is, just open the Bible. Very first book. Uh, you can also find this on the app. We have the Bible on the app, so you can follow along through there. I don't have notes for you on the app today, but, uh, but maybe, maybe next week we'll do that. Genesis chapter two, verse seven says this. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed. Come on, somebody say breathe. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And you ought to underline that, circle that breath of life. And the man became a living being. The Hebrew word in the original translation of this is, is ruah. And it literally translates not just breath, not that God just breathed H2O into him. And not, that's water. Yeah, no. Thank you. You can tell I was really good at sciences, right? Thank you for catching that. Breathe oxygen, not just oxygen, but it literally translates that he translated the source of all life. Now let's go to Genesis chapter three. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, listen to this, did God really say you must not eat from the tree in the garden? You must not eat from any tree in the garden. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. I just pray that you open every ear, every heart, every mind to receive of your word. God, we wanna know you tonight. We want to know you deeper. We want to know you more intimately tonight. God, I just pray that you speak to us. Can you just do this? Can you just stick both hands out in front of you? Can you just say, speak to me, Lord? Speak to me, Lord. My heart is open. Speak to me, Lord. In Jesus' name, come on. And everybody said, amen, amen, and amen. Thank you. Come on, y'all give it up for Landon one time. Thanks, Landon. Uh, Anybody have a fear of snakes in here? Anybody? Just come on, let's, by show of hands, how many of you really hate snakes? So we have snake lovers in the house. That's interesting. You guys are going to hate this message then. Uh, no, yeah, I, I got to be honest. I, I hate snakes. Like I, I passionately, I passionately hate snakes. Uh, in fact, uh, just a few years ago, my neighbor, he's not here tonight, Scott, who lives just right next door to us, uh, he thought it'd be funny. He found out that I had a fear of snakes. And so he teamed up with my wife and they thought it would be funny to put a fake snake on my doorstep and then have me go outside and step over this fake snake. Not funny. I don't, I mean, I don't, and he's literally around the corner. He has his phone and he's around the corner and he's filming. Shannon's, I mean, I, Shannon was in on it. It was very mean. I don't know why you would do that to me. You know, yeah, and I as I, as I walked out the door, you know, I'm like dancing around this snake. And, uh, and then Shannon was about to come out and I was trying to protect her. I'm like, don't come out. There's a snake. All to, it was just this little plastic, you know, just this little, pla- I hate, I hate snakes. And I, there's not a lot of things in this world that, that I'm scared of. Like if you, if you told me today, hey, let's go jump out of an airplane, I would be game. Let's go do it. If you said, let's go get in a hot air balloon and then bungee jump out of that hot air balloon, I'm like, I'm game. Let's go. Let's do it. I mean, there's not a lot that I would go, you know, I'm scared of doing that. But, you know, if you ask me to get in a box with venomous snakes, I'm out, Okay. Now, if they're harmless snakes, I'm good. But if they're venomous, I'm, I mean, I don't want to be anywhere 
anywhere around it. And so uh, you can understand that Genesis 3 is probably not one of my, my most favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible. But the Bible says this, that God formed man from the dust of the ground, and then he breathed the breath of life. And it's important to note that, the breath of life. I told you what that translates, that, that original in the Hebrew, ruach, translate into source of all life. He breathed the source of all life into his lungs. Then we fast forward. We see what God did. We see what God made. We see how God's hand was on his creation and that when he finished with creation, the Bible says that he looked at man and he didn't just say that it was good, but he said, it's what? It's very good. He looked at man and he said, this is good. And then entered the scene a serpent, and by the way, it's just my theory that the reason that we, so many people, like snakes is one of the leading fears. I know we've got a lot of snake lovers in here, and we're going to pray, and we're going to get you delivered at the end of the service, uh, but it, it all goes back to this, because when God cursed uh, the snake, he said the, that man is going to be against you, and you are going to be against man, but in the end, we get the victory over the snake, okay? And we'll talk about that later. But Genesis 3.1, the serpent enters, and the Bible tells us that the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he comes and he poses to Eve a question, did God really say that you couldn't eat from any tree in the garden? And so what the enemy is coming in and doing here with Eve is that he's taking a partial truth. He's kind of taking a truth and he's twisting it. And watch this. The, the serpent's goal here in Genesis was to bring separation between God and his creation. The serpent came into and was aiming to deceive and misdirect Adam and Eve. It was his goal to bring division. Now listen to this. Six different times in the Bible, there's a, there's a spirit that is called and that is listed, and it's a, a spirit of divination, or as, th or as uh, theologian James Nelson Darby, flex there, we're probably related somehow, right? Theologian James Nelson Darby translated it this way. He said it was a spirit of Python, and so if you're taking notes, that's what I'm talking on today, the spirit of Python. Because see, this is what that word translated to in the original Greek, which you can find in Acts 16, 16. And it was a specific spirit that was named there. And the spirit was a spirit that sought to connect to other gods. It was um, a, a fortune teller, if it was, seeking to connect people with something else other than God's truth. I'm going somewhere, okay? I'm going to take a little bit, and I'm going to build a case, and I'm going somewhere. But this spirit would try to connect people with something other than the one true God, a God that is not real, a God that is selling fake news, if you will. And so it was a spirit of divination, or as James Nelson Darby translated, it is a spirit of python. But watch this. So here's how pythons work. Pythons don't kill their prey with one fatal blow. But isn't that kind of how we think that it works with, with our enemy? <laughs> that the enemy's gonna come in and just with one fatal blow, he's gonna get us, he's gonna attack us, he's gonna take us out, boom, that's it. That's not the way the enemy works at all. And when we go back to Genesis and we look at this text, when we look at this text, we can see that the enemy, as the Bible said, that he is crafty 
and more crafty than any wild animal. And he came in and his goal was to separate. His goal was to bring division. His goal was to confuse. And I believe that that's what the enemy wants to do in our hearts and in our lives in this day and age is that there's a spirit of confusion that's in our world that is coming against the truth, the one truth, the truth that is the word of God. And so in our hearts and our minds, we're, we're kind of confused. And, and look, if, if you look in society today, it's all about what? It's all about my truth. You got your truth, I have my truth, but there is, come on, there's one truth. There's one truth, and that's the word of God. And what I believe that the enemy is trying to do in this time is come in, and little bit by little bit, it's not all in one fatal strike, but little bit by little bit, because this is what a python will do, is that a python will strike, but then it wraps itself around its prey, and it just begins to squeeze and it begins to constrict. And every time that its prey exhales, that, that python just begins to tighten down. And then it exhales again, and then it just begins to tighten down. And I kind of think that's the way that the enemy works in our life. It's just a little bit of doubt gets in, so we exhale the truth that we've always held on to. We start consuming the news or we start consuming what's on social media and maybe a little doubt begins to creep in. And so we exhale that truth. We exhale that word that we've always held on to. And what does the enemy do? He tightens down just a little more. And what will happen is that if we don't protect the truth, if we don't protect the word of God, our churches will be places where the presence and the spirit of God doesn't live. And what I believe is that the enemy wants to come in and just little bit by little bit, he wants to tighten in our life. He wants, to make, he wants us to make little compromises and he wants to tighten in our life. Because pythons kill their prey by constricting or squeezing the life out of them. Every time that prey takes a breath, it'll tighten the grip, reducing the ability to inhale. With every exhale, the, the python's prey loses and, and it tightens even tighter until eventually it can't breathe anymore. That's what I see happening in this Genesis narrative. Notice it wasn't all at once. When you kind of read through the passage, it, it, it happens quickly, but it didn't just happen all at once. It happened first with kind of putting doubt in Eve's mind. The, the enemy, the serpent came to Eve and said, did God really say and if you eat that fruit, he knows that, that you'll be like him. Can I tell you, all the enemy was doing was coming into her mind and, and placing doubt. And so she begins to contemplate these things and think about these things and go, maybe the enemy's right. Maybe what that serpent is telling me is true. Can I tell you what is true? What this word of God says. And too many times we'll listen to other things. We'll listen to other voices. And maybe we begin to doubt this book. Maybe we begin to doubt the word of God. And I see it happening in the younger generation especially. And that's why we do what we do on Tuesday nights is to pour into them the word of God so that as they're being poured into other things and lies and, and just false reality, that they go back to this book and they go, you know what? That's not what this book tells me. And I stand on the truth. And we're not gonna let the enemy 
have the next generation. Come on. We're not going to let the enemy have our young people and constrict and, and, and squeeze the Holy Spirit and the breath out of their life. But we're going to preach truth. We're going to fill them with truth. But that's what the enemy was trying to do to Eve was to, was to put those doubts in her mind. And truth is under attack today. We know it. And if we're not careful, what has happened is, is we'll let that doctrine creep into our families. Come on. Man, it happens when we open ourselves up to the garbage that this world is, feel, that is feeding us. That's exactly what Eve did. She began to watch this now. She began just to consider what the serpent was saying was true. Maybe that's true. But what did God tell you? And we can begin to doubt the things that God has said about us. We can begin to doubt the things that God has done in us. We begin to doubt the dreams or maybe even the visions that God has put in your heart and in your life. And the enemy will come in and he'll begin to lie to you and speak those things over you. And it begins to choke the life right out of you. And sometimes maybe you'll say, you know, you hear this, you hear this in our society, you just need to be open-minded. <laughs> you, just, you just need to open your mind. You just need to be open-minded. And just like that, that's how the enemy begins to constrict the truth out of our life. Because it's Satan's goal. It's his mission, and it has been since the garden. He wants to choke every last bit of God right out of your life. He wants to separate you from the presence of God. That was his goal when he went to Eve, and what did he do? He separated them from the presence of God, and when she took of that fruit, and when she ate that fruit, what happened? She was cast out of the garden. She was separated from God's presence, and can I tell you that that's the enemy's goal. He knows that if he can get you from God's presence, he knows that if he can keep you home on a Sunday night, he knows that if he can keep you away from your word, he knows that if he can keep you off your knees, he can separate you from the presence of God and he can begin to constrict down on your life. Why then do you think that if this breath, if this spiritual understanding that God breathed into man. He breathed a spiritual understanding into man. Why do you think that's the very first thing that Satan attacks is he tries to constrict down and get that Holy Spirit, the holy breath out of our hearts, the holy breath out of our life, so we will lose the spiritual understanding. Because when we have the Holy Spirit in us, we have wisdom. And he wants to get that wisdom out of us. And so what he'll do is I'll come in our life and he'll begin to constrict down. Because see, this is, this is what I know is that we know right from wrong. It's innate in us all. Watch a little kid. Watch them when they're very little. And when they do something wrong, where do you find them? They, they kind of run away and they'll hide away in a corner and you go find them and you go, well, why are you hiding in a corner? Because they know they did something wrong. They may not even be able to communicate right. And some of you are going to face this with all this Halloween candy in the next week, right? You're going to take the Halloween candy and you're going to hide it away. And somehow those kids are going to find that Halloween candy. And you're going to find wrappers stuffed up under the bed or under the bed or under the pillow, whatever it is. And you're going to pull, what are you, why are you hiding? Why are you hiding this? 
Because it's just innate in all of us, right from wrong. And I believe that when God breathed the Holy Spirit into man, that when God breathed the Holy Spirit into earth, that we're born with this capability of knowing right from wrong because we have the Holy Spirit in the earth. And I'm going to tell you, I believe that we, the church, are the carriers of the Holy Spirit. Now, there's coming a day and time, and Revelations talks about it, when the church will be taken out of the earth and the Holy Spirit will be taken out of the earth. Go and read Revelations 13 on. You don't want to be in the earth where there is no Holy Spirit, where there is no conviction, where there is no innate knowledge of right or wrong. But that's what the enemy wants to do is come in and separate you from the presence of God. Listen how Job said it. Many of you will know the story of Job, but... Job was a man that lived in the Old Testament, one of the Old Testament writers, and he said this. He said, as long as I have life within me, watch what he said, the breath of God in my nostrils, my lips will not say anything wicked and my tongue will not utter lies. Man, Job lost it all. You know he had the enemy in his ear going, curse God and die. He had friends. Now, I just, I don't, I question whether they're friends or not, but he had friends that showed up and said, Job, just curse God and die. But Job said this. He said, as long as I have the breath of God in my lungs. I mean, I'm just telling you, if Job, a man that went through hell, if he understands that as long as I have the breath of God in me, I can make it through, I can get through. As long as I don't allow the enemy to just tighten down on my life and choke the Holy Spirit out of my life, there's nothing that I cannot do. Come on, if you believe that tonight, somebody say amen. Man, so why do we need the presence of God? Why do we need the presence of God in our life? Because it keeps us in check. It keeps us if I can just say it this way, it keeps us from doing the dumb, sinful stuff that we want to do sometimes. The Holy Spirit, even as Job said, he, he said, man, if I have the presence of God in my life, I'm good. See, here's the problem is that Satan, the serpent, is trying to separate you from God's presence because he knows that he can't, come on, you got to hear me now, he knows that he can't defeat you if you have the power and the presence of God living in your life. See, I heard this story one time of, of a guy who owned uh, a snake, and he would let this snake just go around his house. I mean, I don't know why you would do that, but, you know, he did that. Uh, and he fed this snake, and, you know, year by year, this snake would grow, and the snake would just get larger. And every week, the snake, you know, got larger. And one day, he went to the pet store. And he told the owner, he's, you know, he's like, hey, I just, I need to get, you know, my, my normal food. And, you know, he's, while he's waiting on getting his food, he starts telling the owner, he's like, man, the snake has started doing the sweetest thing at night. It's like the snake crawls up in the bed with me and like lays right next to me and like snuggles up to me. And the owner said, I mean, I got news for you. That snake is not cuddling you. I know that you're like kicking your leg over and spooning, you know, like that, that snake, that snake is not cuddling you. That snake is sizing you up. And that's what, that's what these pythons will do is that a python will lay beside its prey head to toe, whatever it has. I don't know. Does snake have a toe? Head to tail. There you go. 
and it sizes up its prey to see, can I swallow you? Can I fit you in my belly? And this guy who had this snake who thought it was cuddling and that he had, you know, he had made friends with this snake. No, that snake wasn't friends with you, dude. That snake was about to eat you. You were about to be that snake's dinner. And I love what 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen says. It says, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. And I'm telling you, there's things that we're battling in our society. There's things that we're battling in our world today that Satan has tried to dress it up like it's something good, that, that Satan has tried to dress it up like, oh, you know, we're doing the right thing. We're, we're being accepting or whatever it is. But I'm telling you that Satan is coming in as an angel of light. He's perverting truth. And if we don't stand up for truth, the enemy's going to come in and he's just going to choke the Holy Spirit out. Man, there's many things that they seem innocent, but it's squeezing the life out of you. If there's anything that's separating you from your relationship with God, I want to tell you tonight, it's squeezing the life out of you. But it all begins in false conversations with the enemy, just like Eve did. She began to investigate further. She says, uh, this fruit, you know, she, she went over and she said, you know what, this fruit does look good to eat. Ah, oh, you know what, no, that, yeah, he's right. That looks good. What about all the other trees, Eve, in the garden, you know? What about all the, no, but that fruit, the thing that I can't, that looks good. I want that. And if he's telling me that, you know what, this is the thing, because then the enemy said, God knows that if you eat that, you'll be like God. But here's the funny thing. God made man in his image. And if God made man in his image, guess what? She was already like God because she was made in God's image. And if she was made in God's image, she didn't need to take the fruit to become like God because she already was like God. And that's just one of the lies of the enemy is he'll come in and he wants to wrap himself around you and he wants to whisper those lies. And every time that you go, okay, I'll consider what's not true. I'll consider something other than God's word. What does he do? He tightens down. And you exhale and he tightens down. Because see, here's the crazy thing, right? I, it happened at the beginning of uh, at the pandemic, happened on 9-11 when the, the planes hit the towers, is that everybody showed up to church, right? Man, first day of the pandemic, church online was the place to be, right? It was cool at that moment to post on your Facebook that I'm at home watching church. I'm going to be at church online because, I don't know, Jesus is about to come back or, you know, it's about to be some crazy time. Everybody rushed to online church. Same thing, 9-11, what did everybody do? We had church on a Tuesday night and the place was packed and it was just a prayer service and everybody was like, oh God, Jesus is coming back. I'm going to church. I'm going to be, I'm going to get right with God. And then what happened is that as time goes and you realize that you're okay, separation happens. What we see now in churches is that church attendance is at the lowest that it's ever been because the enemy came in and he separated us from the presence of God. And we believed a lie that, oh, I don't need church. Maybe we believe the lie that, you know, I like my Sundays and, you know, so I'm not going. But here you are at 5 p.m. on a Sunday, man. I got to commend you guys because you're here on a Sunday night saying, hey, I want to be in the presence of God. I'm not going to be one that's drug away. I'm not going to be one that I allow the enemy to constrict out. I'm going to get in the presence of God because it is my life source. Come on, somebody say amen. Very good. 
But Satan used it to separate people. Listen to what 1 John 4, 4 says. It says, you are God, little children, and have overcome them because he that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. And I'm telling you, I have something that is on the inside of me that is greater than anything that I'll face in this world. And the reason that when the enemy wants to try to come in and constrict me, that I don't give in and I don't care, he can just kind of keep tightening down. I'm going to be like, yeah, that's cool, whatever. Why? Not because of I'm great, not because I'm good, but because who I have in me. And I've got this external pressure. It's kind of like if I had a balloon tonight and I were to blow into that balloon and you could squeeze that balloon and there would be a pressure. And even though the pressure would be on there, it would still bounce back. And that's kind of what I have on the inside of me is I've got the breath. I've got the Holy Spirit in my heart and in my life that when the enemy tries to constrict down on me, I've got one thing to tell him. It has nothing to do with me, but he that is in me and he's greater than your power or your strength or your force. Because Satan knows that if you're full of God's presence, that there's no stopping you. Satan knows that if you're full of his presence, that there's no defeating you. So his goal is to get you separated from God's presence little bit by little bit, separate you with half-truths and false doctrines little bit by little bit so he can tighten his grip. He wants you to exhale truth and he wants you to inhale so he can wrap his grip tighter around you. Zechariah 4, 6 says it this way, not by might, but by my spirit. The breath that I've breathed into you, the power of the Holy Spirit that I've put into you. How are you going to do it? It's by my spirit says the Lord. We can't do it on our own. We have to have God's presence. We have to stay connected to the source. If we don't, come on, I'm telling you, we're hopeless. If we don't, I'm telling you, we're helpless. It's only by his power. It's only by his spirit. I don't have the strength on my own, church. Got to stay connected to his power. I want the band to go ahead and come back. And I want to look at this, Acts chapter 1. Put it on the screen. It says this, but you will receive, look at that word, power. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Can I tell you, restoration, we have a work to do. We have people to reach. There are lost people in our city that will die and spend an eternity separated from God if we don't do something. There's a Jerusalem, there's a Judea, there's a Samaria, this Jerusalem, it's your, it's your family. Your family needs to get connected to Jesus. There's a Judea, your neighborhood, come on, needs to get your high schools and your middle schools and your elementary schools and your soccer teams that your kids play on. They need Jesus. That's your Judea. And your Samaria, come on, the outlying people that you just see at a coffee shop, when they see the love of Jesus on you, come on, they need you. They need you to be full of the power if we're going to fulfill everything that God has called Restoration Church to do, and it only happens if we have his power. It's no wonder that the enemy wants to come in and choke and squeeze down on us and get the Holy Spirit out of our life. Why? Because it is the power. The word spirit here in the New Testament, it translates to the word, and I think they got it. I, wanna, I want you to see this. But breath, it, it's pneuma. It's our, our source of life. It goes all the way back to Genesis. 
And Jesus said this. He said, I'm going to send a power. I'm going to breathe on you, and I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. And when I fill you with my Holy Spirit, it's going to give you strength. It's going to give you power, and there'll be nothing that you can't do when that power and when that spirit comes on you. Listen, it's no wonder that Satan wants to choke it out of our lives, that he wants to restrict us until the presence of God is gone. It's no wonder that he would use a pandemic and that he would use false reality to try to squeeze the truth right out of in the presence of God because Satan knows how dangerous, listen to me, Satan knows how dangerous a church that is full of God's power and presence really is. Satan knows that if we'll stay so full of his power, his Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost, that everywhere we go, we'll make a difference. Satan knows that if we have his power in our hearts and in our lives, that when we walk out of the four walls of this rented church, that when we walk out into the real world, that we're going to make a difference. And so he wants to come in your life and he wants to tighten down on you and he wants to restrict and he wants to get every bit of the Holy Spirit out of your life so that you're not powerful in the world that you live in. I'm gonna tell you that Restoration Church is gonna be a place that will always be full of his presence, that will always be full of his spirit, that will always have the Holy Spirit active in our church. Satan won't restrict it out. We won't give in to the lie. We won't give in to the lies of the enemy, but we'll say, this is our truth. The world can keep its truth. We have our truth. But in the same way that, in the same way that God has called us to go into our Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth to make a difference, man, that negativity that lack of the presence of God and buying into false truth can do just the same thing to other people. Because Eve went and she took that fruit. She bit it. And then what did she do? She passed it on to her husband. Here you go, Adam. And what I found is that the negativity and false truths in our lives is, is being constricted out we can spread it just like we can spread the gospel. My question today, what are we going to spread? We're going to spread the gospel and God's truth, or are we going to spread some fake stuff? Listen to this. Pythons can lay more eggs than any other breed of snake. One Burmese python is reported to have laid 107 eggs at one time. Y'all, I don't want to be anywhere near that snake or those eggs. Nowhere near it. And um, in Florida... What is the, the wetland down there? What is it? Everglades, thank you. The Everglades. Burmese pythons are not native to uh, the Everglades. But what happens is guys like this guy that got sized up, thought the snake was cuddling. They can't handle these snakes any longer. So they'll take it to a place like the Everglades and they'll release it. And then that snake goes and lays something like 107 eggs and it, boom multiplies just like that and they said that the Everglades is overrun with these pythons because they just keep releasing them into the wild and they keep having babies and now there's these snakes everywhere I'm not going to the Everglades ever I don't care I don't I don't want to be there if I go I'm I'm just going to be rebuking everything I see I rebuke you and I rebuke you I just I don't want to do it but this is the way that that negativity can be 
when the Holy Spirit gets choked out of our life, rather than being a power for the kingdom of God, what happens is we can spread that negativity, we can spread that false truth. What restoration is gonna be, it's gonna be a place that preaches this word, come on. That preaches God, that preaches his word, that, that preaches his truth. Because I love what 2 Timothy says. So how do we, you know, if maybe you came in here tonight and, and the enemy's got a stronghold on you, how do you, how do you break that hold in your life? The Bible says this about the word of God. It says that all scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. You open up this book and you go, God, breathe your breath of life back into me. God, replace all these thoughts that I have in my mind with truth. You open up this book and you begin to read it and you just go, God, I got to break the hold of the enemy that he has on my life. And if you've made little compromises, how do you get back in it? You get back in God's presence and you lift your hands and you begin to sing songs of praise and worship that what they do is they declare the word of God and you begin to declare that word over your life. And when you declare what is God breathed, it's just kind of like you're going, God, I breathe in your presence. That's where we have to find ourselves is is in the word of God and on our knees and in times of worship to say, God, fill me. Your word is God breathed. Your word is inspired and I want to breathe it in.